Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. The Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are here tonight to talk about the Spirit. We have been going through this series over the last month, the renewed normal, as we invite God to to challenge, change us, challenge us both from the inside out, beginning with the heart, moving to our minds, our body, our actions, and finally our souls, our souls. And so when we say, when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, that's because where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is ministering to and speaking to our spirits as well. But we are in a particular moment in time where it is not easy to be a follower of Jesus. It is quite often confronting. It is quite often considered offensive to some people to believe in Jesus Christ, which is an interesting space. But here we are. Here we are. And we are in a moment in time that is very like, I think, the church is very like what Ezekiel talked about when he prophesied in, in verse, chapters 36 and 37 of his great prophecy. And God gives him this vision of an army. And it's an army of dry bones. And he asks him what he sees. And Ezekiel, being a wise prophet, is like, well, you tell me, God. And so God says, well, it's an army, isn't it? And Ezekiel's like, yes, it's an army. That's what I see, an army of bones. And then the bones are enfleshed. That is, there is a body put on the bones. And if we've got to where we've got to over the last three weeks, we would think God's kind of done it. We're ready. But there's something missing. The Spirit of God. The breath of God. These, uh, this army is not prepared. They cannot move. They are trapped exactly where they are. And the breath of God enters them and they come to life. That is where the church is in Australia right now. There are people here, and we need the breath of God to come alive. We, not, not you, not, it's not, this is not like a you're doing bad, I'm doing good. We need the breath of God, all of us, so that we come alive. So the word breath in Hebrew is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Sounds like a word from avatar or something, but it's just Hebrew. Ruach. And it means breath or spirit. So when you see the spirit hovered over the waters in in Genesis 1, it's ruach, the breath hovered over the waters. And then when we translate this, because of course the New Testament is not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek. That same word spirit is translated pneuma, which is where we get words like pneumatic and then pneumatology, which is the study of the spirit. And so pneuma is, is of course, pneumatic means sort of air-powered, air, uh, air pressure is involved in pneumatic uh, things. So the pneuma is the breath of God entering our spirit. It is the word that is used in the New Testament for the word spirit to describe our spirits. So there's a spirit. And then a different word is also used that you'd be familiar with, different word in the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, but it means the same thing, and that is soul. And in the Greek, it is a word that... Um, you might be familiar. Jeez, it's just slipped my mind, honestly. Do you know what? It's a word we use in English, too. Of course it is. There it is. Thank you. Suke. Suke is the Greek word. We say psyche because we're Australian bogans. But suke is the, is the, is the uh, Greek word. Suke. And it's the word, of course, that we use in psychiatry and psychology and psyche. And it means the soul. 
And so often in the New Testament, you hear about the soul, like in the beautiful and challenging passage that Eli read today. But it is interchangeable with the word life. So when God is talking about the soul, when God is talking about the spirit, when God is talking about what is breathing into us and transforming us, when he talks about the breath coming into our lungs, and the same way he's talking about the army in Ezekiel, these dry bones coming to life, flesh coming on them, the breath coming in them, it is the spirit, it is life. Life is bursting forth from people's bodies when the breath of God comes in them. And you and I, and we're going to get it to this later on, We need the breath of God in us because when we get the salvation of Jesus Christ, when we know that we are saved by Jesus, that's what brings us life. But it's being filled with a spirit that makes life worth living. It is being filled with a spirit that gives us that sense of purpose and meaning. We know what we're about when we're filled with the spirit. We are bold when we're filled with the spirit. We take a step out in faith and we don't worry. And it's not until we get a long way out that we realize we've been walking on water the whole time. That's what happens when we walk in the Spirit. But let me tell you what else happens. And I will tell you, because I'm painfully familiar with this. We do many, many things in our life to dampen the work of our spirits. The Spirit of God working in our spirit, we do as much as we can to dampen it. And this is what I realized recently. I am a pastor, which means I am a professional Christian. People pay me to be a Christian for them, basically. That's not nearly as funny as it should be. (laughs) And um, because of that, I spend all my time being, working for Jesus, right? God's kind of my boss. And I forget sometimes to work from Jesus. Yeah? There's a big difference. One is from a place of rest. The other is from a place of striving. One is because out of love, I have an overflow of grace and peace in me. The other one is because there's a boss that's telling me what to do, and I guess I better just do it. And I realized that recently, over the last week as I was getting, um, a week and a half ago, as I was getting quite stressed out when um, we had some friends come to visit fairly unexpectedly. And they were just there in the middle of the day for three hours. People I really like, people that really filled my bucket when I spent time with them. And my first thought was, here's three hours I can't get back for work. And then Jenny asked me, she's like, oh, by the way, I want us to go out to the fringe. Is that all right? And I, I yelled at her. I was like, I, I, we cannot do this. We just lost three hours. Now we're going to go out to the fringe. Heaven forbid I should go on a date night with my wife to the fringe. And then I was talking to a friend who was going, let's catch up. Can we catch up, can we catch up last night? And I was like, oh, man, I just don't, I don't think I can. I don't think I can make space for this. This is my best friend. This is my accountability partner. This is the iron sharpening iron for me. And in a flash, God gave me this revelation that the things that are meant to be bringing me joy are bringing me anxiety because I'm working for Jesus, not from him. I'm spending all my time going, why aren't I doing more work for Jesus as if in some way I'm going to earn his approval? I cannot and you cannot. So I did hang out with my friend last night and it's his fault I'm sharing this story now because that's what a good accountability buddy does. And I say that because first of all, like I did this morning, I just want to apologize because you need a pastor more than you need a preacher. You need somebody who is in the word and with Jesus more than somebody who's trying to do stuff for Jesus. And so I just want to own that and and apologize and repent on my behalf. But I also want to share it because we're real and this is what we do. And because I don't want you to ever 
get functional in your relationship with Jesus. And I'm worried that's where we've got church. And if, maybe, that's, maybe this is just what you need to hear straight up. Before, I haven't even really got started, right? But maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. Online church, maybe that's what you need to hear. Maybe it's not that you can't get to church. Maybe you haven't chosen to be in community because you've got functional in your faith and you've tried to strip it all back and resist the things that are actually going to make you grow. And God's calling you, declaring for you, you have more. You have more. Let me tell you a little story. There was a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Who's heard of Corey Ten Boom before? She's one of my faith heroes, an absolute titan of the faith. She was a little single old Dutch lady. And she was part of a conspiracy to smuggle Jewish people out of the Netherlands during World War II so they'd be away from persecution. And she got caught and her and her sister were sent to a labor camp. And in the concentration camp, they found that they found the presence of God more than ever before. And there's this one point in particular where Corey and her sister Betsy, Betsy was challenging her. She's like, Corey, praise God for all the good things in life. And Corey was just not feeling it that day, you know being in a concentration camp. And so she's like, oh, fine, and starts to praise God for all the good things. And, and then Betsy starts praising God for the fleas in their jail cell. And Corey's like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a step too far. I can't do it. And Betsy's like, no, no, no. We are going to give God glory for everything in our life, everything that is shaping us and forming us, everything. So Corey reluctantly prays for the fleas. And she finds out later that people are being taken away to the gas chambers, left, right, and center. But all she heard going past her cell was footsteps because the guards wouldn't enter because of the fleas. The fleas were the only thing protecting Corey and Betsy and everyone in that jail cell from the gas chambers. So in praising God for the fleas, they actually found out, praising him in faith, they were praising him for something real. Later on, much, much later, Corey said this, about the experience of being in the concentration camp. She said, life in Ravensbrück, that's a concentration camp, took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew daily more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God, grew daily better, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Now, when I get up and preach that as a middle-class white Australian pastor, sure, that's the words of somebody who has survived the horrors of a Nazi concentration camp. The next year is the best year when your goal is intimacy with Jesus. The next day is the best day when our goal is to step into the presence of God and grow more and more intimate with him daily. Now, this is where I want to come to because last week I was showing you some of the framework we've used to look for our heart, mind, body, and soul. And that is to say, with our heart, we begin there because it's our inner person. It's our hearts that need softening, our hearts that need transforming if God's going to work in us. So the heart's affections need to be directed on God. But it's not enough just to have the heart's affections. I was talking with Eli about that this morning. We, we can have our heart's affections in the right place, but then we need to get our mind's attention on God. So our heart's affection needs to lead to that, and then our mind needs to go, okay, I'm making a constant choice to renew my mind on God day by day. And then the mind's attention and the heart's affection naturally leads to our body and what we do with our body, which flows out of what's happening inside of us. And that's the body's actions. So our body is responding to that. But the soul... Unfortunately, I couldn't find an A word that worked for it because the soul's word is the soul's endurance. 
And if there's a bit of a flow from heart to mind to body, the soul is working in it and through it and underneath it and all around it. Because there is something about the soul that is separate to the rest of us. That is not to say we are like body and soul separate. It's really clear in the scriptures that our soul and our body, it's as if we live a fully integrated life here on earth. But there's something divine about the soul. It's the ruach. It's the pneuma. It's the spirit of God within us. The gift of God that animates us. And this is why if you've ever been in a room with somebody who has passed away, you notice that something is different when, with the dead body. And it's not just that there's no heartbeat. It's that something is missing. They are, they are themselves not there. They are themselves not there. And so we need to have renewed souls, church. We need to have souls that are constantly asking, God, what is the work you are doing in me to change me, challenge me, and transform me? What is the deep that's crying out to deep? The Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in your spirit today? That's the work I want to talk about. Is that good? Yeah. All right. I'll start the sermon now. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nervous laughter. In the passage we heard today, Mark chapter 8, Jesus talks about what good does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And there's a famous quote from uh, John Rockefeller. John Rockefeller was the richest man in the world at one point in time, uh, had 2% of the, all the wealth in America was owned by him personally. And somebody came up to him, a reporter, and said, John, honestly, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Now, the thing about that answer, of course, is there's never enough because there's always a little bit more. And we live our lives like that. We live it with money. We live it with our relationships. But more than anything else, we live it with our time. Everybody I know is time poor. I'm busy. I know people that do not work and are not currently studying, and they're still somehow time poor and busy and stressed. This is just how we manage to do it. We put all these pressures on ourselves. But we need to find a way in a culture of perpetual busyness where we are always distracted and always time poor to restore our soul. So how do we do that? Well, the first answer is we don't. God does. God wants to restore your soul. This is what Psalm 23 reminds us. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The CSB puts it this way. He renews my life. If soul and life mean the same word, he renews my life. Who could use some of that? That is when God is leading us, when we allow him to lead us, he brings us to places of rest and peace that utterly restore and renew our lives in Jesus. But we can only know the truth of Psalm 23 and know that God restores our souls and renews our lives if we read Psalm 23. And we can only read it if we create space to do it, to allow God to minister to us and through us and restore our soul in that way, which means we have to craft time. We have to carve time for this. This is what Pete Scazzaro talks about. He talks about the need to slow down for loving union. He is one of my favorite authors, pastors, preachers. He talks about emotionally healthy spirituality. It is critically important. Pete says this. He points out that living at warp speed warps our souls. He uses the story of the seven sons of Sceva as an example of what it looks like to try and do the things of God without intimacy with God. 
So the seven sons of Sceva were these guys. It's a great alliteration. But there were these men in the book of Acts who saw the miracles of the apostles. And they said, that looks great. I'm going to be about it. But they didn't know Jesus. So they just started trying to do these spiritual things. And it went very poorly for them. They got beat. And so what the point that Peter's trying to make is that you've got to have the source. You've got to have the depth, right? If you want to do amazing things for God, you're going to have to have depth with God. You can't just stand up and do it. You will flame out. You need to have depth. The Shanghai Tower, second tallest building in the world, 632 meters high, foundations 86 meters deep. Because if you want to build something big, you better be deep. Amen? Amen. All right. I love that I can just say amen and you'll say it. That's, I appreciate that. Even if you're like, do we? I'm terrified. <laughs> so that's the issue of the soul. It is the question of challenging ourselves to become deep people, people with rested and nourished souls. So if that is the question, what is the answer? The answer is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Now, for those not familiar... A spiritual discipline is a habit or a practice you form that disciplines or shapes your spirit. If you want to discipline your body, you go for a run, you go to the gym, you eat the sorts of foods that I don't eat currently. You, you do things to discipline your body, but to discipline your spirit, you run to God and you go to the scriptures. That's how you do it. So just let me be really clear. We never get past Bible reading and prayer. Those are the key to spiritual disciplines. Like if I was wearing Taryn's shirt right now that you could change and put different words on, it would have, please just read your Bible and pray before you ask me any questions about intimacy with Jesus. Just be reading your Bible and pray. That seems like a bit long to fit on a t-shirt, but whatever, you get the gist. If you do these things, you will begin to cultivate intimacy with Jesus. You can't do them once. You need to build a habit. If you would like to build a Bible reading habit, please come and talk to me. I'll get you involved with our Bible reading plan that we do as a church. If you would like to cultivate prayer as a habit, come and chat to Jeremy. He'd love to talk to you about how we contend in prayer and encounter and how we are just so passionate about that because when we start praying, God starts moving. There's something about that. So we would love to talk to you about that. But I want to offer you three specific spiritual disciplines that I think are going to bless you this decade. We are in a unique moment in time, not necessarily better or worse than another, but the moment in time we are in demands specific spiritual disciplines. And so as I've been praying and, 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 and just thinking through this, there's three that have been on my mind for the last month that I want to share with you. So the first is this. You ready? You've got to write this stuff down. This is gold. Three spiritual disciplines for the 2020s. Online church is going to be good. You're going to love it because you're living this one. Ready? The first one. Solitude. Online church is like, yes, nailed it. Solitude. The first spiritual discipline for 2021 and beyond is solitude. The goal of solitude is to disconnect from media, external voices, and even our own voice. That is, we disconnect from other things to reconnect with God. You and I are constantly driven by notifications, interruptions, and distractions. I've got a smartwatch now, right? Constantly, like, bzz, bzz, bzz. but the beauty of a smartwatch is you can adjust the notifications so that you get very little coming through. The phone, you can try if you want to, but all the defaults from every app are bing, 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 bing. Allow notifications, let them happen. 
You are getting bombarded constantly with information, ideas, and distractions. And it's not about whether they're good or bad. They are just designed to take your attention and give it to something else that will ultimately earn someone profit. But what profit will it get you to gain the world and lose your soul? We have more information than we can handle, but not enough time and headspace to process it. And the result is anxiety, right? We are in an anxious moment. You are not an anxious person, by the way. I just want to name that for you here. You may be wrestling with anxiety. You are not an anxious person. You can wrestle with that. You can give it to God. And between God and yourself and helpful counseling and wise medical advice, you will overcome. Amen? Amen. We pursue solitude to disconnect from distraction. And we do it like Jesus to withdraw from the crowds and pursue the voice of God. Now, You may not know this about Jesus, but one thing he did all the time is he would be doing ministry among crowds, people who were desperate for the healing hand of God. This was not just a, like, hey, look at me, I'm talking here. He was healing people who were desperately sick. And then he would stop when there was still a crowd and say, I'm going to be with my father. Now, I just want you to imagine what it would feel like to be somebody who had been chasing Jesus and begging just for the healing hand of God on your life. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be with God. You would be outraged. You'd be furious. I can't, like, cancel Jesus would be trending on Twitter right now. But Jesus knew where his power came from, from intimacy with God the Father. And so he withdrew from the voices of the world, the ones that were saying, Jesus, we want to make you king. You're the the Messiah, but also you're the king. We want to make you king by force. But also the other voices that were saying, you're a false prophet. You're a liar. There are so many voices in the world. Jesus heard them all. He endured what we endure, and he chose to withdraw from the affirmation and the needs of the crowd. The Savior didn't have a Savior complex. That's pretty good. I just made that up. Somebody write that down. The Savior didn't have a Savior complex. He withdrew so that he could be with God the Father because he needed intimacy more than he needed attention. He needed depth more than he needed uh, you know, platitudes and lording and people to tell him how great he was. And so do you. Yeah. So when we pursue solitude, here's how we begin. We turn off all our devices, wow. all of them. Start for just a period of time. It might be as short as 10 minutes. I love that somebody just threw their phone on the ground in that moment. Well, <laughs> get rid of it. We, we start by that. Start with just for like 15 minutes. Try disconnecting from everything digital for 15 minutes. Step away, go be somewhere else. If you feel like you're getting better at it, build it up to an hour, two hours, three hours. Really disconnect because when you've got all these voices, we're all bombarded by social media, not just, uh, sometimes we do that and it's a bit of a victim complex, like, oh, social media, the enemy, but it's us. (laughs) It's just like when we blame church, it's like, that is also us. Social media is not the enemy. Our participation in social media, though, is often deeply unhelpful. Our opinions are not as necessary as we think they are. Our voices do not always need to be heard, and we do not always need to hear those voices. So unplug, I beg you. Here's the next thing you do. Find a space where you can just be quietly. It can be as simple as turning a chair to face the wall. I mean, let your family know why you're doing it. You're not like passive-aggressively ignoring them. But just turn a chair and face the wall and seek solitude. If you may not have the space to go into you know, an upstairs room. I, I have that privilege, but you may not. 
If you're a young mum, you've probably got a kid around you. You, you may need, you may, I, can, I can hear a child in the room. Uh, you may need just to go, okay, I'm going to take five minutes with headphones in or while my, my child's asleep, I'm going to consciously choose not to like, lean into Netflix, lean into scrolling through social media or chores. You may need to disconnect from chores so you can simply be with Jesus and just pursue that because when you start to pursue solitude, you will find something else. You know what it is? Silence. And in the silence, you will begin to hear the voice of God. But if you fill up every moment of your day, there is no room for God to speak. You do not actually want God to speak. You want God to affirm your busyness. But God's not doing that. He wants you to withdraw to be with him. That's solitude. When we become silent, God becomes vocal. And silence and solitude nourishes the soul. Here's the second one. Sabbath. Sabbath is also a disconnecting principle. The goal of Sabbath is to disconnect from work and the desire to earn our value. Because that is a deep, deep idol. You heard me share on it before. Most Australians, I would say particularly Australian men, but Australian women, definitely you are not exempt from this, have the idol to earn their value. We don't intend to. We would never claim that we earn our value. But when we really dig down, if somebody says, you're fired, now who are you? That's when we see it start to come out. That's when we see ourselves start to panic and get anxious. But if I'm not working, if I'm not busy, do I really have value? You have value because God says you have value. Because he made you in his image. Because he calls you his daughter, calls you his son. You have value because Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again so that you could overcome the power of the grave. You have inherent value. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and who you were made by in Jesus' name. You have value. It's not about your job. And so Sabbath is where we go tools down on purpose, not just so we can rest, not just to binge on Netflix, but so that we can consciously remove ourselves from the desire to earn approval. And instead, rest. And in that rest, delight. So put chores aside on the Sabbath. Work harder the day before so that you can work less hard on the Sabbath. Find ways to delight in God. Feast. Be around people you love. Eat good food. Drink delicious red wine if it's good. Don't drink it from a box ever. But if it's good and you're over 18, do, do that. Do that. One, one of our band members is not over 18. Cooper, please do not drink red wine on the Sabbath. For everyone else who is over 18, enjoy delicious red wine. Enjoy the meal that makes your heart sing. Enjoy it around a table with other people who do so. And do it in the name of the one who gives them all to you as good gifts. Sabbath is about delight. It's disconnection from the world. It's disconnection from approval. But it's connection into God through the power of delighting in him and in the things of the world that are so filling and are gifts from him for us. That is the power of Sabbath. Now, it is going to take you a long time to Sabbath well. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to take the, the um, challenge of being intentional. Um, I know if you want to talk about Sabbath thing, go and have a chat to Jonathan. I don't know if he, he processes it through the lens of Sabbath, and I have not in any way asked him for permission to talk about this. Sorry, buddy. But he's, one, one of the things I noticed and really admired about him over the last year is as he's pursued a pattern of prayer in his life, he's disconnected from other things, lit a candle, and said, okay, here we are. This is, and it's a, whether it, that's an intentional Sabbath, that's a Sabbath moment. That's a withdrawing, disconnecting, and, and connecting into God on purpose. It is beautiful. Sabbath helps us stop trying to earn approval by our work. We stop working so our vocation doesn't distort our identity. Our earning power doesn't define our importance. And our constant busyness of all kinds does not prove that we're a valuable citizen. The Japanese have a word, karoshi, that means death by overwork. They needed a word for it. That's how much they have it. That's a problem. We talk about things being problematic all the time in our culture. They're usually not problematic. We just have a bit of a complex. That's problematic when you need a word for death by overwork because people are trying so hard to earn approval and reach a standard of living where their peers try and admire them and then affirm them that we suddenly need a word for it because we're dying and we're doing it in Australia too. Anyway, enough ranting about Karoshi. But this is the kind of reason the Sabbath exists as delight. This is what John Mark Comer says about silence and the Sabbath and solitude. He says, the end isn't silence and solitude. It's to come back to God and our true selves. It isn't Sabbath. It's a restful, grateful life of ease, appreciation, wonder, and worship. It isn't simplicity. It's freedom and focus on what matters most. It isn't even slowing. It's to be present to God, to people, to the moment. We disconnect from media, we disconnect from external voices, and we disconnect from striving for approval so that we can recover our souls and renew our lives. God is trying to make us lie down by green pastures. We're like, just one more YouTube clip. Sorry, they just keep suggesting them. They're so good. Green pastures, they'll be there tomorrow, won't they? It's killing your soul. All right. Those are our two disconnection disciplines. But what about connection? This is what Nicky Gumbel says, the great man. What the world can't get online or outside the church is real human connection, worship, and presence. Connection, worship, and presence. If you want to live with a renewed spirit in the 2020s, I cannot say this more seriously. I know this is extremely on brand. I don't care. You need to embrace the spiritual discipline of Sundays. That is, church attendance is non-negotiable for you. That you find a church to call home, whether it's here or another place that is the right place for you. You've got to find a place and plug in. And the reason you've got to do that is it's an antidote to an unsubscribe culture which says whatever we want to log on to, we just log on, log off, log on, log off, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, unsubscribe. Don't make me commit. But in the church, you don't have a choice. Because in the church, we're all members of each other. It's it's not the mic show up here, even though I get the microphone a little bit more. What it is, is the body of Christ. We come together, and I need the gifts of Jeremy as he comes up and plays keys. And I need the gifts of Jonathan as he prays over us. And I need the gifts of Tom as he he sings and brings that gift. I need the gift of Jim to run around and do the million gym things that only Jim can do. (laughs) It's just truth. We need each other. That's what the body is for. We need fingers. We need toes. We need knees and elbows. We need 
everything. And the church is richer because you're all here. And the church is poorer when you're not. But you're poorer when you're not. Your soul is dying when you're disconnected from the local church. You don't even know. Online church, I am so glad you're here. And I feel like I'm challenging you a couple times in a row now. I'm not sorry about it. If you can make it to church, make it to church. The man was not made to live alone. It's in Genesis. God spoke that over Adam right at the beginning. You were not made to be alone. And we love our online community. But if you can be in physical community, do it. There's no substitute. There is no substitute. Because when you're in physical community, in the church on a Sunday, I'll explain what I mean by that a bit more in a second. But on a Sunday, you are surrounded by a bunch of people and they do not all look and sound like you. Many of them have very strong opinions about different things. Some of them voted differently from you. Don't ask them about that, of course, because then you have to unfriend them. Yeah, everyone's a bit nervous about that, but for real. Man, imagine if we were in America. Can you imagine how hard that would hit? This is the thing. When you're in the church, the body of Christ are surrounded by other people we don't necessarily like. But we all love because we pursue the one together who loved us first. Jesus poured out his love on us. He proved it by laying down his life for us. And so as we gather together in the church, we use our gifts and graces. We lay down our lives for each other. We declare that there's only one king over our lives, Jesus. We point other people to him and we say, no matter what I am about, I am doing it alongside you. You are not necessarily the person I know best in the world. You're not necessarily like me, but in that is the beauty of the body of Christ. Because at the end of days, when we are gathered in the presence of God with a new body and a new soul, every tribe and tongue will be gathered and they will not all look like us and they will not all think like us, but they will all worship the same Jesus that we do. That is the power of the church. And we do that because we need that diversity. And then the second part of Sundays is letting it invade your Mondays or whenever your life group is and going to a life group. Because in life group, you can't just sit there and listen. You actually got to engage because we train all our life group leaders to be super annoying about that stuff. <laughs> we train them to target you and go, well, you haven't shared yet today. Uh, would you like to share with the class? You know, that's, this is exactly what we want them to do because we don't want you to slip behind. We don't want you to hide. We don't want you to go, oh, no, 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 uh, you don't need to hear from me because secretly you're, you've got things inside you, either opinions or your past that you're afraid of sharing. Do you know why you're afraid of sharing them? Because you don't want your heart exposed. Solitude does that. Sabbath does that. Sundays do that. When we gather in spaces where we have our heart exposed. And Jesus is saying, I want your heart exposed not because I don't love you, but because I do. Because when you have your heart exposed, you can say, see this artery? It is blocked. I need to do some surgery on this. I need to get that out. Won't that hurt? Absolutely. Will it be better for you? Absolutely. That is why we gather Throughout scripture, the declaration and the cry for people to gather is paramount. Throughout the New Testament, again and again, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Paul would go into the synagogue as was his custom. The first disciples met on the steps in Solomon's portico. They gathered together. They went to the synagogue together. They met in each other's homes as was their custom. They did it every day. And then met in each other's homes. It was like a Korean church. It was just, it was literally revival, but it hadn't happened yet. So it was just vival. You know, it, it was happening right then. The, 
it's getting late. The writer of Hebrews begs us, do not give up the habit of meeting together. Hebrews 10, 25. But continue even more as the day approaches when Jesus will come back. The beauty of not knowing when that is, is every day is closer because we are going further forward. Church, do not give up the habit of meeting together. If it's the only thing that sinks in tonight, make a renewed commitment to call, encounter, home. And then find a life group and start serving because we need your gifts and you need ours. That's how it works. That's how it works. The body in action. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. Okay, last one. One more bonus spiritual discipline. You ready? We've got our three so far. Solitude. Sabbath, Sundays, you need these this next decade. You are going to get more media, not less. You need to disconnect. You are going to have more pressure on your time, not less. You need to unwind and disconnect through Sabbath. And you are going to have more people begging you to go to the beach this day, go out for lunch this day. There's so many options. But the body, you are the body, and the body is you. You need Sundays. Here is the fourth one. It is the most important. You need the Spirit. You need the Spirit of God. You need the breath of God pouring out the Ruach, pouring into you, restoring your soul, renewing your life. See, one of my great fears as a pastor is that I am going to end up continually doing religious things like I've been convicted of this week and leading religious people who love doing stuff and work really hard. But we're just the bodies in Ezekiel 37. We're just a flesh army without the Spirit of God in us. But when the Spirit of God hits us, all things are possible. That is, when the Spirit of God hits us and moves within us, we actually become, like the Sundays really do invade our Mondays because the Spirit of God invades all of our life. We become like a new Pentecost. See, at Pentecost, and Pentecost is coming, Easter's coming, Pentecost is coming after it. When Pentecost comes, the prophet Joel's prophecy comes to fruition right in front of us. That is, the Spirit of God pours out on God's daughters and sons. Male and female alike is declared. Slaves and free. Old and young, the Spirit of God is poured out and we see it happen. You see, friends, the disciples in Acts 2, they were exactly like us. They were gathered together in one room. The church was doing Sunday. They were gathered together in prayer because prayer is what Christians do when they don't know what to do. Jesus has just left. He's ascended into heaven. He said, go back into Jerusalem. They've been like, okay, we'll we'll pray. We'll pray. We'll pray. Sure, we'll pray because they don't know what to do. But when they pray in faithfulness, God steps in in power. They pray in faith that something powerful will happen. And Jesus says, a helper is going to come. It's not going to be just about me. It's not going to be, you're not going to get sent back to Jerusalem just to help the poor. Anyone can help the poor. Do help the poor. Just don't assume you stop there. Do stand for things that matter. Just don't assume that's all you're here to do. Assume that God wants to use you for something powerful. It's not enough just to do good things. You have to be infused by the Spirit of God because otherwise you will become dry. You will die. Your faith will self-destruct around you. You will be a husk walking and talking, but with none of the spiritual animation that Jesus desires for us. But at Pentecost, we get a picture. 
The church is gathered together. The Spirit pours out. People speak in every tongue and every tribe gathers around to say, that's my language, that's my language, that's my language. I've been excluded from the temple. What's going on? I can't come all the way to the presence of God, but it sounds like the presence of God is coming to me. Church, right now, tonight, three weeks we've gone through. Your heart, your mind, your body, it's time to let God reanimate your soul. It's time to accept the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's time to go arms uncrossed, high in the air. Say, God, I need You. Wherever else I'm at, I need You. I need the Spirit pouring out like Pentecost. I need a renewal. I need a revival. God, I want to be part of something bigger. Church, who needs that in this place? Who's desperate for a touch of God tonight? We can get so analytical. I do it all the time said an entire section, every sermon. I'm like, well, this is what culture is like. Da, 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 da. Great. Who cares? Let's just talk about the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That's what you need. That's what you need. The problems you are facing right now will look different when you're filled with the Spirit. The injuries, the medical diagnoses you are facing now look different when you're filled with the Spirit. What was the difference between Peter in the boat and Peter out of the boat? Jesus, that's it fixing his eyes on Jesus, the power of God present with him. What was the difference between the disciples on on the steps of Solomon's colonnade who are praying for a beggar, having power and not having power? The Holy Spirit, that's all. The beggar asks for money. They say, we don't have money. Here's what we have. Get up and walk. Do you know how often as Christians we ask for some spare change when God's saying, I want to empty my wallet. Pour out my Spirit on you. I want revival in you, not just because I want to use you, but because I want you to taste the coming kingdom. I want you to see what can happen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.